0: Welcome to BlitzCast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt.
1: Welcome to another episode of BlitzCast. It's a beautiful Wednesday out there, and this is the best time of the year because during this show, we're going to talk about the NFL playoffs We'll also talk about our favorite bowl games coming up, but let's start with the college football playoff. The top four teams, everyone knows who they are. And let's start with the first game, Clemson versus Ohio State. Number two Clemson Tigers versus number three Ohio State Buckeyes. Clemson won the ACC championship game. The Buckeyes won the Big Ten championship game. This is a rematch of last year's matchup in the semifinal. The Buckeyes played really well. They jumped out to a lead. They had a lead for a while. And they looked like the better team last year. McClemson was able to pull out that win in the end. Travis Etienne rose to the occasion. Trevor Lawrence had that big drive in the end. So once again, we get this dream matchup again. What are the keys to this game, Ed, and who do you think wins it?
2: Well, I I think the quarterback battle is the key to the game. I mean, you've got Justin Fields going against Trevor Lawrence, and, I mean, both of these guys are going to want to go out and show that they're the better quarterback because, I mean, these guys are competing to be that top pick. You know, if Justin Fields goes out and dominates Trevor Lawrence, then maybe the conversation changes. You know, maybe all of a sudden Justin Fields becomes that number one pick. So this, this quarterback battle is really going to be exciting i mean this is just this is just a close game and this is a team that that's going to have good offenses uh they're going to have good defenses i ultimately think that this is clemson's game i think clemson is the better team
1: yeah it's going to be interesting what um, brent venables dials up he always likes to get creative with his blitzes with pressure packages I think he is. He has a few surprises for Ohio State. I think he's going to try to be different than what what he applied last year. Clemson has a lot of firepower on offense, and it starts with Lawrence and, and Travis Etienne once again wants to recapture that form. The Buckeyes played good defense against Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game. I don't think they allowed a single point in the second half, but that was Northwestern. It's going to be hard to keep Clemson off that scoreboard. With all due respect to the Buckeyes, and Justin Fields needs to play better than when he played in the Big Ten Championship game. I realized that he was bothered by an injury, but he needs to come back and show people that he can process the information and make good reads because he's got a couple of really good wide receivers on the outside. He can't let them down. According to Bovada Sportsbook, Clemson is a a 7.5 point favorite versus Ohio State. So that's what Vegas thinks. I also believe that Clemson is going to come out on top. I actually think that they will cover that spread that they have against the Buckeyes. I mean, with all due respect, Ohio State is a good team, but Clemson is just a notch higher than that. I'm not sure Fields is going to have one of those big games. Like last year, he looked really good, right? I mean, the wide receiver, I think it was Chris Olave that kind of let him down in the end. Remember, Fields threw that ball and Olave broke to the outside instead of staying inside where the ball was placed. And Clemson came down with that interception at the end. I mean, that was a brutal play. I just don't think Fields has that magic this year. He has struggled in some games.
2: I think this is gonna be a really close game. Like I think this is like a this is like one of those memorable games that we're gonna have. You know, this if, if ESPN Classic was still on, I think you'd have replays of this game, you know, going back a couple years.
1: I just I just think this is gonna be a
2: great matchup.
1: Let's talk about the second game on tap. It's uh, number one Alabama Crimson Tide versus the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. According to Bovada Alabama is a 20-point favorite versus Notre Dame in this game. I was surprised about the line, Ed. They're not giving respect to that Notre Dame's defense. I realized that Notre Dame lost to Clemson uh, by 24 points, and Alabama is the best team in the land, and most likely they will win. This is a slap in the face. For Notre Dame so that they feel they're not getting any respect and I'm sure Brian Kelly that that's going to be a huge motivational factor for this team
2: I, I I see Notre Dame being upset and I mean you know you're not going to lay the points with with Alabama but I mean this is going to be Alabama's game I mean Alabama is the better team here you know Alabama hasn't had a close game against anybody I put my neck out for Texas A&M, but I still I still think highly of this Notre Dame team. I didn't want that to, you know, get watered down in this. I, I mean, I think I think they've they've been probably one of the best defensive teams in college football. Notre Dame has a great offensive line. Um, you know, Ian Book Ian Book is a is a good quarterback, and I mean he's he's gonna have an NFL career. I don't know if it's gonna be you know as a longtime starter. He might be more of the backup type. But you know, Ian Book is an NFL quality quarterback. You know they, they they can run the ball. Kyron Williams is able to is, you know carry the load a little bit. So this is not a Notre Dame team that's going to get walked all over. But ultimately Alabama's the better team and Nick Saban's the better coach.
1: I started to ask myself questions like how would you beat this Alabama team? I think if if we're talking about that, Notre Dame has to stop the run. You have to stop Najee Harris, but I I think it starts with him. Because if he gets rolling and he's getting picking up those five, six yards on first down, Notre Dame has no shot at all. But Notre Dame has proven that it can stop the run. They've done it against ETN in the past, and they can do it against Najee Harris. Make Alabama one-dimensional. Make Mac Jones beat you. I understand they have Devontae Smith outside. They got Melchi. I mean, they've got some tough wide receivers. But I think stop the run... Make Alabama one-dimensional. If you do that, you've got a shot. And obviously what Notre Dame wants to do on offense is get Book out of the pocket, have him roll out, find those tight ends in the middle of the field. And Javon McKinley, he's got to have the game of his life. Because I just don't think anybody on Notre Dame's roster at the wide receiver position matches up well against that Alabama secondary. And I think McKinley has got to show it. He's probably going to get matched up against Patrick Sertain, who's one of the best corners in the 2021 NFL draft, who's going to be a top 10 pick. But McKinley has got to make plays on the outside. He's big. He's strong. He can outbox Sertain. I think that's what it starts. They need to get some plays, not only from the tight ends, but from the wide receivers as well. And Control that clock with that running game. Make it easier. Keep Alabama's offense on the sideline and shut down their running game. I think that's the recipe for success. I don't see Notre Dame losing by more than 20 points after they got embarrassed in the ACC championship game against Clemson. I just think that Alabama will win, but this is the game that I believe will be close. And uh, I'm not saying like three points, but I think if you keep it within a touchdown or 10 points and it's a close game heading into the fourth quarter, Notre Dame wants to win this game. But if they can keep it close within seven or 10 points, they almost would feel like they have won the game. We have made our prediction for the Alabama versus Notre Dame game. Now we would like to bring in our expert to give us his thoughts on this matchup. Brian Driscoll is the publisher of irishbreakdown.com. He joins us right now. Welcome to the show, Brian.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Let's get right into it. What are the keys to this game between Notre Dame and Alabama? And what are the keys for the Irish?
0: Well, you know, uh, we did a podcast about this at Irish Breakdown this morning. And the thing that we talked about is, for me, when we talk keys, it's kind of breaking down big-picture keys and then the more detailed keys. And the big-picture keys for me... Notre Dame has to start fast, they have to win at the line of scrimmage, and Ian Book has to be aggressive. And that's going to manifest ways like first and second down success, you know, finishing off drop, touchdowns, you know, things like that. So the, the smaller, more detailed third down success, success, all that kind of stuff is going to be a byproduct of really those big issues, which is you got to start fast. It means if Alabama's scoring, you got to max them from scoring. If Alabama's not scoring because your defense is making stops, then you've got to score to gain an advantage. And I think on the other side of the ball, for the defense, it's about you've got to control the line of scrimmage. You have to stop the run game. I think that's priority number one. If you stop the run game and you make Alabama be one-dimensional, that's where you have a chance. And then after that, it's you have to be able to to do things schematically and with your front-four pressures to get Mac Jones out of rhythm. He cannot sit in the pocket, in a clean pocket for 60 minutes and go through his progressions. If he does that, he's going to pick you apart. If, if you are able to kind of get him to rush throws, rush reads, guess. You know, maybe, you know, a third and five, he's thinking, you know, hey, no, look, Notre Dame's showing eight, nine guys up near the line. They're going to blitz. So I'm going to hit the slant route to Devontae Smith. And then at the snap, Dalen Hayes or Jeremiah Wusu drops right underneath that slant route and either picks it off or knocks it down. Notre Dame gets the ball, right? Those are the kind of things that they're going to need to do. Defensively, they're going to have to make two or three game-changing plays to be able to, to stop this Alabama offense enough to give its own offense chances to score points enough to win
2: how good has this defense been this year
0: some notre dame's defense
2: yeah notre dame
0: yeah i i think it's been outstanding i mean it hasn't been perfect and obviously we saw that in the clemson game but I, i think when you look at all the different factors that have been working against it you know you look at early in the year they're trying to put together defense when you have linebackers missing this game defensive linemen missing that game because of you know, COVID issues. This corner's out. This player's out. You know, and and they've been able to hold all that together and just really play out sandy defense. I mean, look. Let's be honest, guys. Notre Dame is not in the college football playoff if it's not for the defense. You know, it wasn't the offense that won a twelve to seven game against Louisville. You know, that was all on the defense. I mean, you look at the offense. I mean, they only scored twenty seven points on Duke. You know, they they struggled against Florida State offensively in the second half. And and you know, this defense has has picked this team up time and time again. I mean. When you can hold three different opponents to single digits in points, you're playing pretty good defense. And that's really what they've done when you consider that, if you look at the Georgia Tech game, Georgia Tech scored 13 points, but seven of those points were against the Notre Dame offense when they returned to fumble. So, you know, when your defense can go through games and, and do what Notre Dame has done and limit teams, actually it's four opponents, excuse me, to, to single digits, you're, you're going to be a pretty good defense. You know, they've been very good against the run. Uh, they've been very good at creating negative plays and just not letting teams put drives together. And I think that's a big part of what's made this team so good. And if the offense can carry its weight, Notre Dame has a shot in this game. If the offense doesn't, then I don't care how good you are on defense, Alabama's going to score a point.
2: Are Michael Mayer and Tommy Tremble the best tight end duo in college football?
0: I think so. I I mean, look, I don't think Notre Dame has the best tight end in college football. Uh, That's obviously Kyle Pitts and there's other singular players, but and I think when you look at the talent, the Notre Dame has a tight end. It's it's truly, it's, it's outstanding. I mean, and even, you know, you mentioned Mayer and, and Tommy Trumbull, but you know, there's a lot of coat teams in the ACC that would say, Hey, we'll take George Takis in a heartbeat. We'll take Kevin Bauman. We'll take Brock Wright. You know, there's a lot of people that would love to have a guy, you know, like, like Brock Wright or or like Tommy Trumbull or, or, you know, or or George Takis and they're not even considered the number one tight end. So you know, I think that's what makes their name so good. I mean, Hunter Long's a really good tight end at BC, but, you know, he's the number two. They're not the same player. You know, you could do that uh, uh, all over at different places, but to have that dynamic one-two punch at tight end is what makes their name so good. And I think the other thing that makes this unit so good is they're not just great pass catchers. They're great blockers as well. And that's not what you see. Kyle Pitts is, is an elite pass catcher tight end. He's not in the same universe as, as Michael Mayer, and especially Tommy Trumbull as blockers. I think that's what makes them unique, is that you can do you can utilize them as, in the pass game to hurt teams as, through the throwing game, but you can also utilize their talent in the run game to say, hey, we're in, we're in two tight end sets, and we can run at you with big bodies, and we can still use those big bodies to stretch the field and beat you with the pass game.
1: Brian, we would like you to put your coaching hat on. Who would you focus on more if you were Notre Dame's defense? Would you take away Najee Harris or Devontae Smith?
0: Najee Harris. And I actually have an article in our breakdown this morning about that. And you're not going to shut down the pass game. What you need to try to do is shut down the run game. And then that allows you to then mix up your coverage looks in, enough to where you can say, "Hey, what we need to do is we just need four or five stops in this game. That's it. You know, and if that means we disguise our coverage and mix up our looks and force Matt Jones into a third down incompletion, completion, that's a win. You know, To me, that's as big as, an, as a turnover when, when you look at it from a Notre Dame standpoint. But when you look at the Alabama offense in the second half of the year after they lost Jalen Waddell, their offense, in my opinion, became even better because they're so balanced. And when they're running the ball effectively, they're getting in a lot of second and shorts. Well, when, it, when a team like Alabama is in second and three, you know what they're going to do. They're taking a shot down the field, knowing that they're going to be in third and three on the next play because getting to the quarterback's been a challenge. So when you can stop the run and force them to be in second and 10, third and eight, you know, those type of long distance situations where they're definitely throwing the football, that's where you're going to be able to have some success from a coverage standpoint uh, of getting enough guys into coverage to take away those intermediate throws that they love so much, which then allows you to have Kyle Hamilton beat to help protect against the deep ball. But if they're running the football and you've got to now start bringing your safeties down to protect against the run, you have no chance of stopping this football team.
1: Which player needs to have the game of his life against Alabama?
0: I think the easy answer is Ian Book because he has to. But honestly, I think Tommy Reese made a comment that he said, Ian Book doesn't have to make a bunch of wrong plays. He just needs to run the offense. And I think that's very true. If Ian Book makes good decisions and just gets the ball where, where to the open guys still on time, I think he'll have a big game. But at the end of the day, I, I think what we need to see is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to say, you know, it it needs to be a secondary weapon. It needs to be a Tommy Trumbull, an Avery Davis, a Chris Tyree. Some complimentary player needs to step up and have a big game. And we've seen that in past years. You know, we've seen that in I mean, you think to you know, who made the game winning touchdown against against Alabama in twenty sixteen. It wasn't Mike Williams, it wasn't Travis Etienne, it wasn't you know, Deshaun Watson running it in, it was Hunter Renfro. You know, it, it needs to be some somebody like that. You know, Avery Davis needs to make a big play. And who was it that made the big plays against Clemson in, in the first game? You know, it was it was Avery Davis. It was guys like that. So a complimentary player is going to have to step up and make plays. And if that can happen and they can have a, a big game, if, if a Chris Tyree can have a big game, if a Tommy Trumbull can have a big game, if an Avery Davis can have a big game, now all of a sudden that forces Alabama to adjust their defensive game plan, and that's going to allow someone else to make a big play. And I think on defense – If somebody along the defensive line has the game of their life, then Notre Dame's going to have a chance to, to keep Alabama from going crazy offensively.
1: See, I think Javon McKinley needs to have that big game against Patrick Sertain. Just because Notre Dame relies so much on the tight ends in the middle of the field, a wide receiver has to step up on the outside. McKinley can't have two or three catches. He needs to have like seven or eight for over 100 yards in this game for Notre Dame to have a shot.
0: So let me, let me speak to your, to your statement there for a second. So to me, I don't think it's necessarily the game of his life that he needs to have. I think he needs to do what he's done in other big games. And to back up your point, McKinley has caught at least five passes in six games this year. Mm-hmm. In those six games where he's caught at least five passes, they are averaging 39 offensive points per game, offensive points. It's over 40 if you include the Clemson game, the first Clemson game where they scored a defensive touchdown. I'm just talking offensive points. If you look at the the four games against Power 5 teams, so I take out South Florida, the four games against Power 5 teams where he's caught less than five passes, the offense is averaging 21.8 points per game. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Javon McKinley needs to be a big part of this game plan. No question about it. And if he does that, then I think this offense will have a chance. But I still think to win the game, you need him, you need Kyron Williams, you you need those guys to do what they do but somebody else has to step up into the spotlight and have that big game. But to your point, I don't think Notre Dame can win this game if Javon McKinley has two catches. I don't care what anybody else does. So I I do think that's a great point that you just made.
1: What happened against uh, Clemson in the ACC championship game? Please uh, give us your thoughts.
0: Well, I think the biggest thing is Ian Book didn't play the way he had the four previous games. And, you know, one of the frustrating things for me has been pushing back against this narrative of, you know, guys weren't getting open. And and finally last night on ESPN during halftime of the Texas Colorado game, Jesse Palmer showed film of plays where guys were open and Ian Book just wasn't making the throws. And when you look at Notre Dame's first three drives, they got into Clemson territory every single time they came over with three points. You know, You can't win games like that. And you know, you look at the defense and they didn't play well either. And they gave up some big plays, but you know, you held Clemson to two touchdowns below their season average. You know, you lost that game because your offense didn't compete. And that to me was the, the big difference. Is You didn't run the football. You abandoned the run to a certain degree. Your quarterback wasn't doing what he needs to do, which is run the offense, hit the open receivers. Even a simple play, you know, it was a third and 11. They ran a curl flat. That's football 101. That's something you teach at Pop Warner, you know, it's curl flat. And, Ben Scrannick comes wide open on the curl route and books looking at him. He just he doesn't throw the ball. I talked about that after the game and and the aggressiveness, the confidence that we saw in the first game against Clemson was gone. And they're going to have to get that back against Alabama. They're going to have to be play very very confidently. They're going to have to be aggressive. They're not going they're going to have to play like they're not afraid to make mistakes. If they do that, then I think this team has a chance to pull off the upset. If they play like they did against Clemson, it's going to be extremely ugly.
2: I want to get your thoughts on the debate that uh, the Aggies deserve to get in instead of Notre Dame. What is your take on this?
0: What are they hanging their hat on? A win over a three-loss Florida team, right? And here's the here's, the, here's where the, the Aggies say faithful are a little hypocritical. They say, well, the Alabama game was so early in the season that it really shouldn't be held against us. Well, what happened the week after they played Alabama? So if we're not going to count Alabama, then why are we counting Florida? And then now you're hanging your hat on what? beating lsu beating auburn who fired their coach beating tennessee beating south carolina beating arkansas beating mississippi state that's a bunch of teams are losing records texas a&m had a nice season for them the win over florida was a good win but notre dame had two similar wins they had a win over clemson and they beat north carolina who was another three loss team with a great offense and notre dame's wins came late in the year while texas a&m was you know beating lsu by 13 and beating auburn by 11 you know who fired their coach a couple weeks later so no texas a&m had a nice year texas a&m did not deserve to be in the conversation for the college football playoff i would argue that cincinnati has a better argument to make than does texas a&m and and the other part is if you want to argue for texas a&m being in the college football playoff then you need to be arguing for them to be in the playoff over ohio state not notre dame notre dame absolutely earned their opportunity to be in the college football playoff with what they did in their first 10 games. And you're going to punish the team for losing their 11th game. Well, guess what? If Texas A&M would have gotten to the college football playoff, they wouldn't have played their 11th game until the title game. That has to be a part of this too. And Ohio State will never sniff playing 11 games. That's where the conversation should be. Notre Dame deserved to be in the college football playoff. That's why I wrote an article after the loss to Clemson saying they will be in the college football playoff because they had one of the two to three best resumes in the country. And uh, fortunately for the committee or for Notre Dame, the committee is not as reactionary to what happened in the most recent game as the AP voters and a lot of fans tend to be. It's about looking at the entire resume and the entire resume shows that Notre Dame is in my opinion, one of the three best teams in the country. And I think the reason they got the four seed is more about just not wanting to get a back-to-back rematch than it was necessarily about them thinking Ohio State had a better resume.
2: What is your Rose Bowl prediction against Alabama overall?
0: I haven't made one yet, to be honest with you. I've been so back and forth on this game. You know, there's times where I'm breaking down the film and looking at the numbers and I'm thinking, man, Notre Dame's got a really good shot in this game. And then there's other times I'm watching film, whether it's watching Alabama's offense or watching Notre Dame's offense against Clemson or Louisville, and I'm thinking, boy, this is going to be ugly. You know, so I'm really back and forth, guys. I have to... You know, I talked with with uh, my football analyst at, at, at Irish Breakdown, Vincent. We talked about it. We have to come to our decisions by tonight because we have an article we got to put out tomorrow. But we uh, we've both really been back and forth. I think I'm gonna end up making two predictions, but right now I just I really haven't been able to settle in on one. I've been it changes. You ask me now, and I can say, hey, I think Alabama's gonna blow them out. And then in 30 minutes when I pop into film, I'm like, man, it's gonna be a close game. I think Notre Dame could pull off the upset. So. I've really been back and forth on this because I think Notre Dame is a much better team than a 20-point underdog in Alabama, to Alabama. I think they're a 20-point underdog because of what they've done in past big games, and that's also what gives me pause of why I'm hesitant to pick Notre Dame to be close or to pull off the upset because they haven't shown us in 11 years that they can be their best in these big moments.
1: But if Notre Dame
0: plays their game, I absolutely think this is going to be a competitive game for full quarters.
2: Well, Brian, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and what great stuff you have on Irish Breakdown?
0: Yeah, so you can obviously find me at, uh, at Twitter at CoachD178. So that's CoachD is in Driscoll, uh, 178. And, of course, I'm also on Parlor at a similar name. And then we have our uh, Facebook. We just started a Facebook group for Irish Breakdowns. Uh, you go to Irish Breakdown Notre Dame fan group. You'll find us there. And then, of course, all of our content is going to be at irishbreakdown.com. Uh, So far today, I've had actually a a very busy day on the site. I have an article breaking down the keys to success for the Notre Dame offense, what they have to do to win the game. Uh, I added an interview on a radio show that's on the website where I talk about the Notre Dame versus Alabama game, Chris Tyree, those type of of deals. Uh, And I talk about what your question, which is why, why stopping the run is more important for Notre Dame than necessarily game playing to stop the pass and how those two things go together. And then I have more. I have defensive keys coming out. We'll have game predictions. We'll have some stats analysis, all types of stuff. So uh, go to irishbreakdown.com and you can see all of that.
2: Brian, thanks for being with us. Enjoy the game. Of course. Thanks,
1: guys. We would like to thank uh, Brian Driscoll for joining us and giving his expertise on the Alabama-Notre Dame game. Let's talk about the rest of the bowl games that are on tap besides the the college football playoff, Ed. uh, What is your favorite bowl game? This week coming up,
2: you know I, I really like the uh, Orange Bowl. You know I, I just I just want to see if Texas A and M is for real, and you know I think they, they got a good opponent in UNC. You know UNC's got a lot of good position players, and so I I, I like this I like this UNC team. I think they they give him a show. I think uh, Kellen Mond, you know, this will be pretty much his last game at Texas A and M, so he's going to want to go off, you know, well you know, want to build some momentum going into the senior bowl. So I, I think I think this is, this is a game to watch, and I think this will tell us a lot about who's kind of number five and six in all this.
1: I don't think we're going to find out because UNC has a lot of its players out. We're only going to see Sam Howell. De'Ami Brown, the wide receiver, he's out. He has entered the 2021 NFL Draft. He was their top receiver. Michael Carter, Javante Williams, they have also declared for the draft and have opted out. So North Carolina is not going to have its main weapons on offense and I'm just I mean obviously new guys step in, backups. I mean they they will turn to them. Mac Brown will still get this team geared up just because you're playing against the Texas A&M Aggies. The SEC team only has one loss, but it's going to be an incomplete for me. I just I doubt that UNC is going to be able to beat Texas A&M without its star players, and three of them, the three main players on offense are out, and that's that's the big part. Those are the guys that Sam Howell, the quarterback, relies on. Uh, we've got one game tonight. Uh, it's uh, Oklahoma against Florida. Uh, you know, I want to see Spencer Rattler, and I want to see Kyle Trask against that Oklahoma's defense that has played better. I mean, is Trask going to have a good game? The world is watching, all right? The Heisman is going to be on January 5th. That means this game counts for all of those writers that haven't sent their ballots out yet. They're waiting to see what happens. And I want Trask to have a good game against Oklahoma. If he does, he should be the winner, in my opinion, based on... Based on his stats, and if he has another good game, I, I think he's clearly the front runner. And I think the, the entire world is pulling for Devonte Smith to win it, the wide receiver from Alabama. But to be fair, it's going to be one of the quarterbacks. Uh, Devonte Smith has already gotten Offensive Player of the Year I am in college football this year, so it's either going to be you know Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, and Kyle Trask. So I want Trask to make his case against a very good Oklahoma Sooners team. But my favorite bowl game would have to be the Peach Bowl. Cincinnati, number 8, against number 9, Georgia. Georgia is a powerhouse in the SEC. Cincinnati is that unbeaten team, the best team in the non-Power 5 conferences. I want to see how Cincinnati plays with an SEC team. It's just it's going to be interesting to see. Cincinnati has a good offensive line. They have a good defensive line, so they can stop the run and they could also open up holes. Desmond Ritter was Offensive Player of the Year in the AAC. Georgia has played a lot better with JT Barrett the past few weeks as its quarterback, So, and Cincinnati has been vulnerable at giving up those big plays. So Georgia receivers against Cincinnati secondary, that's going to be a heck of a matchup. Cincinnati is playing for all those small schools. You know, for all those schools that feel like they've got a chip on their shoulder because the BCS system favors the bigger schools from the bigger conferences. And we've seen that in the past with the SEC, with the ACC, Cincinnati. This is their chance to to make a statement against a good Georgia team. Let's uh, go to the NFL playoffs. It's going to be a wild Sunday. First of all... All 32 teams are going to be playing on Sunday, and there's so many spots that are still open. We don't know who's going to be in the playoffs. Yes, I mean, we've seen some teams clinch in the NFC and the AFC, but there's still a lot of uncertainty, and this weekend, this Sunday, is going to decide it all. Let's start with the NFC. I'm curious to get your take. Nobody wants to win the NFC East, Ed. Who do you think is finally going to come out on top? We've got uh, the Redskins right now in the lead. And then we've, you know, they're playing against the Eagles this week. Bovada has the Redskins minus two versus Philadelphia. And then we've got the Cowboys versus the Giants. So if the Redskins win against the Eagles, they're in. If the Redskins lose, then the winner of the Cowboys versus the Giants is the team that gets into the playoffs. So who do you think is eventually going to come away with this NFC East division?
2: I think it's going to be the Washington. I'm going to put put out a bold prediction. And I think this is a team that has a good offensive line and a good defensive line. I'm going to say once they draft a quarterback and they and if they hit on that quarterback, I think this Washington football team will be one of the elite teams in the NFL, and they will get their trademark name. I think think this will be one of the better
1: stories in football in a few years. But we don't know if Alex Smith is going to play. It seems like the, the Washington team is really... They're not giving out all the details. Obviously, Washington has released Dwayne Haskins, and Haskins hasn't proven that he can be a franchise starting quarterback in this league. He's made some bonehead moves... Washington basically has owned up to their mistake they released their first round quarterback from last year what do you think about this move
2: well I mean Haskins Haskins hasn't worked out on Washington and maybe a change of scenery would be good I ultimately think that Haskins is more right now at in in that sort of backup category you know I think a team would want to take him and then you know give him the backup job and then when they're you know if they're top guy goes down then they can kind of see what they have in him Um, I think that's that's kind of where his value lies right now Um, you know he cleared waivers so no team claimed him so no team is really trying to get him and no one wanted that first round contract I think now that he's free to sign I would love it just to see like a team like Pittsburgh or you know being a Steelers fan I would love to see him come in and you know maybe just get a backup job and just see what he has and see if maybe the right quarterback coach can fix him.
1: Well, we know he has the physical tools. He just needs to work on his head a little bit and get his priorities right. That's his problem. I mean, this is a guy that was drafted in the, with the 15th overall pick. And when he was drafted by Washington, there's a story out there that the owner, Daniel Snyder, was the one that wanted him. The coaching staff didn't want him. And then when he came in this year, this coaching staff wasn't thrilled with him either even though Ron Rivera did make him a captain. But he has screwed up over and over again, and this has less to do with what he's done on the field. I think his off-the-field antics have affected him, and he's got to get it right. He's got to resurrect his career. I like this Washington team, too, because the Alex Smith story. I want them to get into the playoffs, but I'm not sure Alex Smith is going to play. And if he doesn't, then it's going to be Taylor Heineke who's going to be your starting quarterback trying to win that most important game against the Eagles. So if Alex Smith plays, I give the advantage to Washington. But if he doesn't, then I'm going to go with the Cowboys. Can you imagine my Cowboys making it into the playoffs and winning this division? I mean, how crazy and silly does that sound? Uh, Because a few weeks ago...
2: all your predictions would yeah, go yeah. right if they won the Super Bowl, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, a, a team that goes, you know, exactly. A team that goes, you know, like with the losing record, gets into the playoffs, and then marches all the way to win the. Super I mean, Bowl, right? I mean, that's not if, if
2: they march to win the Super Bowl, then it'll be Alex Kavtov. Football psychic,
1: <laughs> it will be. That's not happening yet. <laughs> you and I both know that that's not happening. I mean, if they get into the playoffs, they get a very good Tampa Bay Bucks team, and I just don't think that the, the Cowboys well, will be able to stop. You, you Tom had Josh to Allen. Their
2: you had you had the Bills this year, so you had a few picks go right. So I mean, you had Tampa.
1: I think I, I got a lot of picks right. I got a lot of picks right this year. I mean, we can recap it, but I got a lot of picks right. The one that I didn't get right was the Cowboys going to the Super Bowl, but they've got a shot to win the NFC East, and that would be a- another division winner for me. But again, this has nothing to do with me. I'm pulling for Washington because they've had an incredible story. Nobody thought that Washington would be here today, and the Alex Smith story—just you know, they're—they're going to make a Hollywood movie about it in about 15 to 20. And I'm telling you, the, and yeah,
2: I'm telling plus. you, once they get a quarterback, they're going to be a good team.
1: Let's talk about the the other three teams that are vying for those two spots in the NFC. So we've got the Los Angeles Rams, and they're in Arizona Cardinals, and they're actually playing this week. And then we've got the Chicago Bears who have the Green Bay Packers. Who do you think gets left out out of this trio? And I want to remind you, the Rams don't have Jared Goff. He's got a thumb injury. He had surgery. He's out. Daryl Henderson uh, and Cam Akers. Well, Daryl Henderson is definitely out. Cam Akers, the other running back, is questionable to play. Cooper Cup has been placed on COVID. So the Rams are down many starters in this game against Arizona. And we're not sure that Kyler Murray is gonna play. So this is gonna be interesting. No Kyler Murray possibly, and definitely no Jared Goff. And then the the Chicago Bears, who have been playing well here recently. They get a, a real opponent in the Green Bay Packers.
2: Well, I think the Cardinals end up winning this Rams game, you know, without Jared Goff. I mean, Jared Goff's going to sit this game. I think I think the Rams are kind of sitting a little bit... Pr- I mean, they're not in, but they're sitting a little bit pretty. I think what's really going to help is the Bears are going to lose, and they're going to eliminate themselves. I mean, it's just... I'm sorry to Bears fans. I mean, God, after, after Cody Parkey, and I think this year, you know, it's going to be a disappointment again,
1: so... I hate to I hate to say it, but I think I think it's the Bears who are the odd man out. I'm going to take the Rams. I think uh, the Rams have the better defense against the Arizona Cardinals. I realize that nobody's watching the Cardinals, but Kyler Murray hasn't played that well the, the past couple of weeks, and we know he's going to be banged up heading into this game. The Rams still have a tough secondary. They still have Aaron Donald that's going to apply pressure. So even though the chips are down and all the offensive stars, the Rams just don't have them. And they've got a guy by the name of John Wolford, who's the starting quarterback for the Rams this week against the Cardinals. But I'm going to go with the Rams. Defense wins, and I think they'll be able to to keep Arizona uh, under wraps. Let's move on to the AFC playoffs. And um, there's still one division winner that hasn't been decided it's a division that we thought was going to come down to the wire. It's the AFC South. Uh, both teams are, what are they, like 10-5 and five right now, the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. Are, are you sticking with your original prediction like you had in the beginning of the season? Are you going with the Tennessee Titans to win this division?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think the Titans win this division. They win their game, and I think they, they you know, then they clinch their division, so... But I do think the Colts get in.
1: I do think the Colts will get into the playoffs. I also think the Colts are going to get in. Uh, and here's the reason why. They play Jacksonville this week. I just I can't imagine the Colts laying an egg after losing to Jacksonville earlier in the season. The Colts have gotten their running game going. They've got a good defense. And I think Phillip Rivers is going to be able to not turn the ball over against Jacksonville. I mean, it's Jacksonville, for God's sake. So I think Indianapolis gets in. Then we've got two more spots up for grabs. Uh, We've got the Miami Dolphins. They're playing against the Buffalo Bills this week. That's a tough order. And then we've got Baltimore and Cleveland. So out of those three teams, who do you think gets left out of the playoffs?
2: Between Baltimore and Cleveland... I am Miami. In Miami, in Miami. I, I, in Miami. Well, the, the, when you say it like that, I I actually think Miami is going to be the team that's going to be eliminated. I think you know the the Cleveland Browns are going to be playing the Steelers with Mason Rudolph starting at quarterback. Even though the Cleveland Browns are having some COVID issues, I I, I still can't see them losing this game against the Steelers, who are really kind of you know mailing it in. I mean, they're a much different team without Ben Roethlisberger. I I think the Ravens win their game, and I think the Dolphins are the team that loses their game. Because, I I mean, the Bills Bills aren't losing to anybody.
1: Yeah, the Bills are a dangerous team right now, and they're rolling. And they've got Miami Dolphins this week. I want to get your thoughts on uh, Tua and Fitzpatrick. I mean, Fitzpatrick comes in. He wins that game against the Las Vegas Raiders. And then Brian Flores, who I respect a lot, and I think he should be coach of the year, even if the Dolphins don't get into the playoffs, which... I hope that they will. Um, why is he still going back to Tua after Tua? I mean, he struggled against one of the worst defenses in the NFL, which is the Raiders. I don't
2: agree with Brian, what with Brian Flores is doing with Tua. I think you go with the veteran in a key situation like this. I mean, there's just so much on the line right now. You know, you can't really have rookie mistakes I mean, Tua Tua is the fa is the future, and I think you know when when next year comes around, you know you give him the job back. But you know what, Fitzpatrick has played well, and I I think he's really one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the league. And you know what, it it is a little bit of an injustice that he hasn't been playing this year.
1: Well, whenever he's been in there, he's been good. He's been carrying that Miami Dolphins team. Tua is the future, but you got to get into the playoffs, and I think Fitzpatrick just gives you a better chance against a really good Buffalo Bills team. Even if Josh Allen doesn't play, I mean, the Bills have a good defense, and they have a tough secondary. Miami doesn't have any wide receivers on the outside, so you got to go with the veteran who gives you the best chance to win. And Ed talked about the, the Browns. Um, according to Bavada, uh, Cleveland is a minus 10 versus the Steelers this week just because Ben Roethlisberger isn't there and Baker Mayfield is. But Cleveland has its COVID issues. They had it last week when they were missing, what, Two offensive linemen, two starting offensive linemen, and four wide receivers. I'm not sure they're going to be back this week, and they've got a couple of more guys being out this week. This is going to be like the ultimate story, right? I mean, with dealing with COVID, Baker wasn't able to lead them past the New York Jets last week. Do you have faith in him that he can do it against this Pittsburgh Steelers squad this week?
2: Yeah, I, I think he'll do it. I just don't... I just don't have much trust in Mason Rudolph with the Steelers. I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, there's a reason teams passed on him in the first round and he ended up being a third-round pick and uh the Steelers were the team that liked him, but I don't think he's I don't think he's really become that good of a quarterback. I mean, maybe he's a he's a career backup in the NFL, I mean, at best. But I don't I don't even know how long he's going to last as a backup in the NFL. I mean, the The fact of the matter is, is that they took a they took a chance on Mason Rudolph. I don't think it's going to work out, but I, I I you know, I mean, you know I I think the Steelers are smart to rest Ben Roethlisberger, get him healthy. He's old, get him ready for the playoffs.
1: What's going to happen when Miles Garrett meets up with Mason Rudolph?
2: <laughs> I I I, th- I think those guys have had it out, and that they're. I I don't think they've made amends, but I think I think they've gotten enough warning from the league that said basically we don't we don't need the
1: sideshow in the NFL. The whole world is watching. They certainly will be watching if they get that handshake or maybe a slap on the helmet or something like that, you know, or a pat on the on the behind. What's going on with the Steelers? Ed? I mean, you and I talked about it at length a couple of times during the show when they had that when they were unbeaten and they looked like a really good squad that defense was carrying the day but Ben had a great second half when they opened it up and decided to throw it downfield so I give them props there the Steelers made the comeback when it looked like they were dead in the water against the Indianapolis Colts but they can't run the ball the receivers are dropping passes you and I know that their offensive line isn't isn't great and Ben is not what he used to be, so I th- I think the Steelers are in trouble here in the playoffs. Right? Are you worried? Well, I, I yeah I I am kind of worried
2: about the Steelers in the playoffs. I mean they there is there is kind of a story that kind of gives me some hope about this team is that they beat the Indianapolis Colts and. There's a story from a Colts beat writer that, you know, the, the Colts in the first half were calling out the Steelers' plays and the Steelers in the second half just started running their own plays that they didn't prepare for earlier in the week. And something tells me there was something there where the Colts kind of saw the Steelers' plays or they, they knew their game plan. And so that that kind of says to me that really maybe the struggle that they had against the Colts was really just the Colts were... <laughs> Were playing chess and the Steelers were playing checkers in a way
1: in, in in kind of a dishonest way, so But the Steelers haven't been good for a few weeks. This isn't just one half. This isn't just one game against the Indianapolis Colts. You and I are, are watching the Steelers over the past month, and that offense has has seen better days. I mean it has struggled. The offensive line is average and you've talked about it at length. They can't run the ball to save their life. I mean, they can't run the ball on on third and one, fourth and one. I mean, just pick up that short yardage situation. They can't do it. And again, Big Ben has always been the savior, and he's been in these big matchups in the playoffs, but you can't count on him this year. The defense is going to have to carry the day, and the offense is, is a liability this year.
2: I mean, the truth of the matter is is that they, they need to draft a player on offense next year, whether it be a quarterback or an offensive lineman or something. I mean, just this team has really done a good job building themselves on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger aging.
1: You said it. I mean, you know, this offensive line is aging. Cheer up, Ed. Everything is going to be fine. We've we've got a new year coming up. We've got you know 2021. Everything is going to be fine. Make make a wish under your tree. I I knew it was too good to be true
2: for 2020 for the Steelers to go undefeated,
1: right? I'm glad they lost a couple of games because I mean I think they understand their flaws nowadays and they know how they will have to operate and what we saw in the second half against the indianapolis colts i hope i'm going to see a little bit more of that in the playoffs because they can't just throw like two yards to the wide receivers and hoping to to pick up that third and seven play they got to get vertical all right they've got some weapons they've got wide receivers and ben still has an arm so trust your franchise quarterback and go with him i mean go down swinging The Steelers were playing scared, in my opinion, in the first half against the Colts. In the second half, they let it loose, and that's what I would like to see in the playoffs as well, because they've got a good defense that can carry the day, and therefore take some risks on offense, and better days are ahead. Thank you for listening to another episode of BlitzCast. Happy New Year, everyone. Take care.